The Edge of the World Art Studio is proud to present Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Danielle Lee. Artwork by Helen Rachel Lee. Music by Fish Zombie the Onions. And special thanks to Spooky the Cat for her contributions, fuzzy as they might be. Chapter 46 The Illusion of Choice 1864, October 3rd, Carson City, Nevada Penelope led Odysseus into the camp of soldiers. He couldn't help but look wide-eyed at everything around him. He saw the men unloading boxes. They had lanterns everywhere as they built some sort of strange structure. What is the army doing here? The war is in the south, asked Odysseus. They're here for you, Penelope answered. Why? I don't know. That's why I'm here. I'm dying to find out. What are they building? Do you want to see it? Asked Penelope. Odysseus nodded yes. She led him over to the men. They were working on some sort of structure. It had wheels and an iron frame. It sat on a set of train tracks that were only big enough for it. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't continue east or west. The men worked very carefully, adding to the structure one piece at a time. It's a train, asked Odysseus. Yes, it is. But it can't go anywhere. Why build it out here in the middle of nowhere? So smart, yet so dumb. Come on, Oscar, you can do better than that, can't you? How do you move a train built in the middle of nowhere? You finish the track. Very good. Penelope smiled at him. These soldiers are building a railroad system. Why? He asked. I don't know. Do you? The night before, she knew that he would be at the fight. She just had to find the right man. She had snuck into the tent. There was a magic to it, she had been taught. It didn't matter where you were going. It didn't matter whether or not you're invited. If you stood next to someone who looked confident and kept pace with them, you could walk into anything. She hadn't paid the $10. She didn't need to. She watched the fight. Colin, Achilles, Orpheus. She watched Orpheus. He moved like a dancer. He fought like he was playing the drums. She realized it was about beat and rhythm, about the practiced movements and reactions. Orpheus fought like he was making music. And Penelope's heart broke again. He was here, now. She would lose Euricity. She was supposed to lose Euricity. Persephone had warned her, if she tried to marry Euricity, he would die. There are many myths that tell the story of Euricity's death. The most commonly accepted version is that the women in the village were jealous of him. They all admired Orpheus for his skill on the lyre. He had invented music, and it had charmed them all. He chose Euricity, and they planned to be married. But before the ceremony, before the marriage could be performed, the women in the village got together, they snuck into Euricity's wedding tent, and they stabbed him. If I tried to marry him, thought Penelope, would that be my fate? Is that how he may die? When he betrayed me for Orpheus, his true soulmate, would I be so enraged by that betrayal, by the fact that I would have set aside my own chance at love? Would I kill him? Would it be my hand on the dagger? It would be wrong to keep these two apart. I have to let it go. I have to let him go. I have to tell him. Then she saw Odysseus. She saw him standing next to Finnegan, in Achilles's corner, 
They whispered to each other like children in church. And when the fight was over, when the crowd followed Orpheus out of the tent, Penelope was the last to leave. Watching Finnegan and Odysseus, she went around the back of the tent. She saw the young man with his strange backpack. He shook Finnegan's hand and then left on his own. She followed. Who was this kid, she thought. Why would they have gone all the way to Nevada just to pick him up? The general was interested in Achilles and Orpheus, but only at her suggestions. He wanted the Reaper, but she'd already been sent west before the Reaper ever came to the fort, before there ever was a Reaper, and he was in this city because of her. But the general from the very beginning wanted this kid. Her first duty had been to find him. Why? She followed him to the telegraph office. She hid and watched him set up his ladder and climb to the top of the roof. He took off his backpack and he began to attach wires here and there. Then she heard tapping. He was sending a telegraph. He had built a telegraph machine of his own, and he had somehow hooked it into the telegraph lines so he didn't have to pay for what was obviously a very, very long message. How clever! Penelope held her breath. Clever. He can't be. He just can't be. He's too young. His writing is so ridiculous and pointless. He can't be Ulysses. Don't lie to yourself, she whispered. He probably wasn't Ulysses, she thought. But it would be a lie to think that he couldn't be. She had to know. She had gotten him to come down from the roof. She was mad. She didn't want this boy. She wanted Eurycity. He had told her to kill Ulysses. She'd been tempted. She shot at him, but she knew she missed on purpose. She's not a murderer. And he hadn't done anything wrong. At least she didn't think he had. She had to know why the general wanted him. If she knew that, she would know who he truly was. She had to walk through the city. She was still mad at Thomas and couldn't call on him. She tricked Odysseus into breaking into a house with her. She was trying to be rude. She thought maybe she could scare him away. If he wasn't Ulysses, then the reality of her life would frighten him. She told him about witchcraft, a confession she had never told anyone else. She tried to explain how it worked. She told him about the disembodied girl, the horrific story meant to make him cringe, to make him sick. But it didn't. It just sparked more interest in him. She read his tea leaves, and there it was. Marriage. Once again, like her tarot deck, the signs pointed to marriage. She quickly read her own leaves. Marriage. Both of them were soon to be married. But it didn't say anything about to each other. It didn't say anything about who he really was or who he would marry. This proved nothing, she told herself. But her spell had worked too well. They had gotten caught. And in the excitement of running and the laughter of the ridiculous moment, she kissed him. She didn't know why she'd done it. Fucking magic. She had cast a friendship spell and it worked too well on her. That's why she had done it, she said to herself. And then she heard in the back of her mind, don't lie to yourself. She led him through the camp. There was only one way to know for certain. He had to see Agamemnon. She had to find out what he wanted this kid for. They stepped up to the tent and Eli looked at her questioningly. Good morning, Eli. Are you up late or did you get up early? I'm up early. Who's your friend? I have a special gift for the general. Is he in? He's in. And I'm sure he would be happy to see you. 
Shall I tell him you're here? Yes. If you could tell him, I have Oscar Wachowski, Penelope said proudly. Eli looked down at Oscar and smiled. Then he held the tent open for them and followed them in. Penelope and Odysseus waited near the entrance as Eli walked around the other men to whisper in Agamemnon's ear. Sir, Lucy is here. She says she has Wachowski with her, he reported. Agamemnon looked up and saw them across the tent. Lucy, (laughs) my little miracle worker, you are full of surprises. Gentlemen, you are dismissed, Agamemnon announced, and the men all stopped what they were doing and turned and walked out of the tent. When they were gone, just Agamemnon, Penelope, and Oscar remained. He spoke again. I thought you didn't pick up fugitives. I thought you were information only. With any new challenge, you can expand your skills. I thought I might try my hand at bounty hunting. What do I get for a wayward student? Penelope smiled as she walked closer to the large table that held the map. Oscar followed behind her. You get my eternal gratitude, which is far better coin to possess than those that are pressed in the mint. Cadet Wachowski, step forward. I am not a child. I am not a cadet anymore, and I am no longer Oscar Wachowski. Odysseus said as he stepped around Penelope to stand at the table across from Agamemnon. Do you know who I am? It doesn't matter who you are. I know who I am, and I owe you nothing, said Odysseus, standing chin up, chest out, hands behind his back. What you are is guilty of desertion. Desertion? asked Oscar. You deserted the army in a time of war. That means your life is subject to my whim. I could have you executed, you know. I didn't leave West Point in a time of war. The war hadn't begun yet. But you knew it would. You saw it coming. Tell me, Mr. Rightway, why did you leave West Point? I left West Point because the professors there were snot-nosed babysitters and sadistic school marms who would rather relive the past than take a single moment to think of what was going to happen in the future. It's been more than 2,000 years since Thermopylae. Why do I care how many Spartans were killed there? That's not how we fight war anymore. And they wouldn't listen. They just taught old battles and old ways. They thought it was better to continually mock and punish me rather than listen to me when I dared to point out that they were wrong, Odysseus said proudly. And what makes you think they were wrong? Agamemnon asked. Everything! The president, the emancipation, the entire war in the South. I predicted this conflict. No, you didn't. From behind him, on a bookshelf, Agamemnon pulled a leather-bound manuscript. He set it carefully onto the table. On its cover was the title, The Empire of the Rail. Oscar recognized it immediately. He had written it. You didn't predict this war. You caused it. Agamemnon smiled. I did not. That was only speculative, and nobody took me seriously. I did, said Agamemnon. Oscar, what did you do? asked Penelope. My mother was an abolitionist. I used her ideals as a framework. I wanted to show them what a modern war would look like. 
So I invented one. One that would end slavery in the South. But it was just speculation. You can't finish it. I was 14 and I was mad. Don't do it. You don't need to. Odysseus pleaded with Agamemnon. You must understand by now I took you very seriously. This was the blueprint for the war and it worked. Now it's coming to an end and I must finish it. No, please. How does it end? asked Penelope. The North wins. The South has to accept that defeat. But they'll want revenge. They'll need their pound of flesh in order to be able to return to the Union. They need a token victory. What victory? She asked, almost whispering in his ear. He's going to kill the president. The war is almost over. It's an inevitability. But that's not why you're here. You're here because I want more. More what? The war is over. America is yours. From coast to coast. Manifest destiny finally realized. What more is there? There's everything else. I want Canada. Mexico. South America. If it says America on it, I want it to be part of the United States. <laughs> Why stop there? Why not take the whole goddamn world while you're at it? Odysseus laughed at him. Why not take the whole goddamn world while we're at it? Agamemnon asked, without a hint of humor in his voice. That's impossible, said Odysseus. Is it? The Romans nearly did it. The Mongolians took their shot. You gave us the map. Agamemnon's hand landed on the leather-bound manuscript. You proved that with the train, we could hold an empire the Romans could only dream of. Not just the known world. The whole world. I'm not helping you. You've not considered what I will pay. Not just money, but men, land, power. If you help me build my new world, then as the architect of that world, nothing within it will be denied you. Odysseus fell silent. In his mind, he saw a map of the world. Like the map before him, it had pieces representing armies. It had lines indicating borders. And as he imagined them shifting back and forth, he realized, yes, it was possible. It would take time, money, and political power. I could do this, thought Odysseus. When he heard from behind him a small breath, the sound of disappointment coming from Penelope. There was no longer any denying it. Whether she liked it or not, he was Ulysses, and he stood here before Agamemnon. She had to stop him. She had to remove him from the game. I could still kill him, she thought, but she knew that wasn't who she was. She set her hand on his shoulder. Odysseus felt the weight of her hand. It was supportive. He was not alone and he would not disappoint Penelope. No, I won't help you, Odysseus said, chin up, chest out, hands behind his back. Choice is an illusion. Very few men in this world have any choice. The sun rises in the morning, and men must do 
what they need to do to survive. Survival fuels their decisions. They don't make choices. They take the inevitable steps towards what they believe will keep them alive to see tomorrow. It is death that makes choices for them. And so, any man who is willing to end the life of another, that is the man who makes all his choices for him. Your life is mine. And if you do not obey my orders, then it will be my choice whether or not it continues. Penelope stepped around Odysseus and pulled him back behind her. She stood now before the map. That's enough. He said no, and you will respect his wishes. She looked at him as if she was scolding a child. Detective, stand down. You are dismissed, and we will talk about this later. I have tried to tell you from the very beginning, I don't work for you. The truth is, I don't work for Alan Pinkerton either. You figured out who I was, but you never did figure out who I worked for. Everyone works for me. There is only one stone at the top of the pyramid, and you are looking at it. That's always the problem with kings, sitting on those thrones, thinking they're untouchable. But all it takes is one woman. I could destroy your kingdom with one woman. I am not swayed by the fancies of women. You and your entire gender are only put on this planet to serve men, and all men are at my service. You underestimate me. You underestimate all of us. All it takes is a whisper. One woman only needs to whisper into the right ear and your kingdom ends. It's like this fan. Penelope pulled a fan from the folds of her dress. She opened the fan and began to wave it back and forth. It doesn't seem like much, but with it I can speak a language men don't know. I can use it to communicate across a dance floor. I can use it to... Oops. Penelope dropped the fan on the ground. She reached down to pick it up, but when she came up, instead of a fan in her hand, she held her gun. The gun Eurycity had given her. Now, tell me, sir, is my choice an illusion? If I choose to kill you now, is your life mine to control? Penelope asked. She could do it. There were three bullets left in the gun. How many would it take to kill Agamemnon? Would it save Eurycity's life? If you pull that trigger, you won't make it out of here alive. So yes... Your choice is an illusion. I control your life. Everything you do, everything you will ever accomplish will be in my service. Or you will die. Agamemnon stared into her eyes as if there was no gun between them. You still underestimate me. You don't think I'd trade my life for yours. Do you know what's more important to a person than their own life? It's entirely possible that you don't. But what's more important than my life? is the life of the people I love. I won't let you kill the people I love. I won't let you control them. I won't let you use them. I understand that if I kill you, your man will kill me. So now the two of us stand on equal ground. Let's play a game. This is not a game, Agamemnon said, white knuckles gripping the edge of the table. Of course this is a game. It's always been a game. Let's call this game the illusion of choices. If I win... I leave with Oscar. If you win, I leave Oscar here, and he'll work for you. Why should I agree to this madness? Because if you don't, I no longer have any faith that I can let you live, and I will sacrifice my life to end yours. 
Penelope set the gun down on the table in front of her, too far away for Agamemnon to reach, but still in her grasp. Here are the rules. You make Oscar your best deal. You tell him everything he will get if he works for you. And then you ask him to bring you this gun. After which, I will make him my best offer, and I will ask him to give me the gun instead. At which point he gets to choose. Truly choose, and we'll see if that choice is an illusion. No. This is madness. It's too late. The game has begun. And just like in chess, the king has only one move. Make your offer. Penelope stepped aside and pushed Oscar up to stand in front of the table. The gun in reach of his hand. A king doesn't need to move. All of the pieces on the board are at his command. Commander Wachowski understands that. And what you have underestimated is who he is. He needs the challenge. He wants to move the pieces. He wants to prove to the snot-nosed school marms that he was right. What I am offering him is not to be a piece on the board. What I am offering him is the board itself. Commander, bring me that gun, and the game is yours to play. Agamemnon smiled. Odysseus set his hands on the table. He picked up the small model of a horse and looked at it. It was a puzzle he could solve. He spent the last year moving two boxers around the map until they agreed to a match just because he wanted to see it. But the truth was, he just wanted to know if he could. It has been a challenge for his mind, and and now it was time to find another. He reached for the gun, and he could feel the cold metal in his hands as he picked it up from the table. Penelope stepped up close behind him. If you give me that gun, I will marry you, she whispered in his ear. Odysseus turned to look at her. She smiled at him. He dropped the gun into her hand. She turned and pointed the gun once again at Agamemnon. Don't do this. Oscar, you want the girl? She's yours. She works for me anyways. I'll give them both to you. The game and the girl, he claimed. Rule one, Oscar, was all Penelope had to say. And he knew he could not lie to himself. He could not have her love by force. Lucy, Agamemnon called to her as she backed her way out of the tent, gun in hand. Everything you do, everything you will ever accomplish for the rest of your life, you do it for me. It doesn't matter where you are. You work for me, you always will. All it will take is a whisper, she replied. And if you come for me, if you come for my family, if you hurt the president, I will end your life and your empire. Penelope stepped through the flap out of the tent with Odysseus. Slipping the gun into her bag, she turned to Eli. Eli, I need your help. Will you come with me? Of course. How can I help you? I need you to put a carriage together for me quickly. We're in a hurry. Agamemnon ran to the tent flap, but Eli was gone. He looked around. He could not see Penelope or Odysseus. How could they have just vanished? He looked for help, but he had dismissed all his men. He went to the signal bell and began to ring it. Penelope, Odysseus, and Eli heard the bell. Eli, something's happening. We better get out of here before there may be trouble. I should go back and find out what's going on. 
I shouldn't have left my post. It's okay. I'll explain to the general later that you were helping us. We need to get out of here. We're not soldiers. We can't help. What if there's an attack? What if it's the Reaper? We should get to safety. You're right. Come on, there's a wagon ready. Just take that one. Good luck. Eli pointed to a horse and cart. He motioned for the men that were with the cart to follow him back into camp to find out why the alarm was raised. Goodbye, Eli. Penelope dropped the pretense of being scared. Come on, Ulysses. It's time to go home. Penelope said as she climbed onto the buckboards. My name is Oscar. Are you sure? Asked Penelope as he climbed up to sit next to her. She whipped the reins and the horses galloped out into the dark. Hundreds of guards at the gate and hundreds of guards at the wall, but all of them looking the other way. This has been Helen of the Iron Horse, written by Paris Lee. Artwork by Helen Lee. Performed by Helen and Paris. All characters within are fictional and bear no intentional resemblance to anyone living or dead. Except, I guess, for Helen and Paris. See more of our work at edgeoftheworldart.com. If you would like to comment on the show or ask any question, please email us at Helen of the Iron Horse at gmail.com. The proceeding was made with the love and encouragement of all of our friends at the LA LGBT Center's Trans Lounge. Thank you. <laughs>